I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi. Laura and I are excited that Play Me will be returning this January with a whole new series of plays. But in the meantime, please enjoy this encore presentation, which is a show from our archives that was recently aired on CBC Radio 1. This presentation, just in time for your holiday binging, is a clean version with some of the course language edited or dipped out. If you wish to hear the original show without any of these edits, you can find the original show further in our podcast feed. Until the new year, you can always listen to Play Me on CBC Radio 1 Sunday nights at 9 and Wednesday nights at 11. Happy holidays. This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Hi, and welcome to Play Me, your audio theater. Do you sometimes feel like being transported to another place? Or wish you could be a fly on the wall in someone else's world? Or even fantasize about traveling through time? Well, this theatre lets you do just that, from the comfort of home. And that's why Laura and I are happy to offer you the best seats in the house to some of the hottest plays turned audio dramas by award-winning playwrights from coast to coast. Here, you'll be able to listen to everything from riveting dramas to biting comedies to bone-chilling thrillers. We like to think that we're hearkening back to the golden age of radio drama, but with a contemporary twist. Today on Play Me, we're featuring the heartbreaking yet heartwarming This Is How We Got Here by Keith Barker. Keith, a Métis artist from northwestern Ontario, paints a touching portrayal of a family coping with an unimaginable tragedy. He draws on a painful experience from his own family to pen an authentic look at the fallout of suicide on those who are left behind. It's been one year since Paul and Lucille's son Craig took his own life. Their once solid family is starting to unravel as the couple and Lucille's sister Lizette and her husband Jim all wrestle with their grief and guilt. The ties that kept them together strain under the pain until an unexpected visitor changes everything. You'll hear part one of the play, followed by a conversation with the playwright. And we'll be back next week with the conclusion. A warning, this play deals with the subject of suicide and may not be suitable for all audiences. And now, This is How We Got Here, by Keith Barker.
So, uh, where should we start? Depends. Which way should we go? That way. Or was it? No. No, she went that way. But where are you going? She went that way. Yeah, but the creek runs that way, which means she probably followed it down past George's and over... Oh, to Harlan's. Good thinking. But now where are you going? You just said Harlan's. Yeah, but there's nothing past Harlan's except the lake, which means she probably headed north along the hydro lines to Carroll's Creek. You really think she'd go that far? Only one way to find out. This way. Uh, right, yeah, uh, this way. Once, there was a fox who lived in the forest, and he had a magical gift for storytelling. Animals would come from all around and from far away just to hear his stories. And the fox would spend all his days making up story after story and telling them to anyone who would listen. But one day, as sometimes happens, things changed. And the fox, when asked by the badger to tell his own story, could not remember it. In fact, he could not remember any of his own stories. It seems that he had told so many stories to so many people that he had, in fact, lost his own. This worried the fox. He had never lost his own story before. It had always been there to tell him which way to go and what to do next. But now it was gone, and he felt very alone. Luckily, he still had the story of today. And today, like all the days before it, had been good. But today was quickly coming to an end. And if today ended before he could find his story again, what would that mean for tomorrow? With no story, there would be no tomorrow. What was he going to do? Is that you? Oh, hey Liz, how's it going? Good, and you? Oh, you know, it goes. Yeah. I'm sorry, but we have to make this quick. I'm in the middle of making dinner. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt. You didn't. What's up? Liz, I, I know things haven't been good between us lately. Uh-huh. But I was just wondering if... Maybe we could put our differences aside for one night so I could see Lucille. Seriously? That's what you're here for? Listen. No, you listen to me. She made it very clear she doesn't want to see you. A couple of minutes is all I'm asking for. I'm sorry. Look, if she says no, I'll go away. I promise. She doesn't want to see you. Look, just go in there and ask her, would you? I'm not doing that. Why not? Am I that terrible of a person you won't let me see my wife on the anniversary? You are unbelievable. You really are. Wait! She's been... struggling. With you two and the divorce, it's only made things worse. She spends most of her days outside in the backyard. She doesn't talk. She doesn't want to talk. She barely eats. 
that I know she's not sleeping. Mostly she just wants to be left alone, so that's what I try to do. I try to leave her alone. And some days are better than others. Today is not one of those days. She's fragile, and I'm afraid if she sees you, it's going to... You know. Yeah. Anyways, i got to get back inside. Dinner's on the stove. Yeah. No, of course. Um, I'll get out of your way. Listen. I'll tell her you stop by. If she wants to see you, I'll drive her over. Deal? Deal. In here. What's up? Yeah, not much. What you up to? Yeah, working on the well. I keep getting sediment in the water. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah, well, hopefully I can patch it, because I can't afford to drill a new one. Uh, so you going to offer me a drink or what? <laughs> Since when do you ask? Help yourself to whatever's in the fridge. I think I got some juice in there somewheres. Juice? <laughs> Yeah, juice. What kind of juice? I don't know. Does it matter? Guess not. You got anything else? Like what? Like, I don't know. Got any beer? No, but uh, I got some pop in the fridge downstairs. Just give me a sec. Nah, nah, don't worry about it. You sure? Yeah, no. I'm fine. Suit yourself. So? What brings you over to this side of town? I thought I'd return your shop back to you. You came all the way over here for that? Yeah, well, Liz has been nagging me about it for a while now. Hey, you got a light? Yeah, I got some matches, but you can't smoke in the house. Since when? Since I've been trying to quit. You can smoke on the porch if you like. Uh, sure, uh, sounds good. Hey, what's up, man? Why are you limping like that? Uh, it's, it's my back. Mm. It's killing me. I've been sleeping on the couch the last few nights. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What'd you do? Nothing. Nothing? That's what I said. Yeah, I know that's what you said, but you must have done something. What's that supposed to mean? Nothing. Well, what's wrong with your hand? Yeah, just a dumb thing I did at work. Hmm. Hey, I, I know we haven't, you know, seen a lot of each other since... Yeah, the, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's fine. No, I, I've been super busy at work. Yeah, me too. Hey, uh, let me grab you those matches, huh? Sure. Hey, you, uh, you get any moose this year? No. You? Yeah, I, I got a bull. Uh, Dale got one too. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot this here. Yeah, you should put your name in it with the police. They'll they'll call you if someone hits one on the highway. Yeah, I thought about it, but it kind of feels like I'm cheating. You know what I mean? Yeah, but a moose is a moose, right? <laughs> right. Uh, as long as you don't mind spitting out a bit of glass at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, you, you remember that time Dale hit that moose driving back from the bank? 
<laughs> it was yesterday. God, I totally thought we were going to die that night. <laughs> yeah, oh, me too. Oh, one second we're talking and laughing, and the next second there's a moose coming through the front window. And we were lucky. We only hit the back end of her. Yeah, I know. I counted my lucky stars that night. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and then Dale jumps out of the car, starts yelling <laughs> at the poor thing. Yeah, which was fine until she stood up. Oh, man, the look on his face when he was running back to the car. <laughs> open the door. Open the door. And we barely got it open on time. When she charged the car like that, I thought we were done for. Oh, and then Eric. Oh, man, the only guy in the car who hates hunting ends up shooting the moose. From the back seat of the car. God, who does that? A dentist. That's who. <laughs> My ears were ringing for a week. Yeah, mine too. I still don't know how we managed to get her home that night. Oh, worst idea ever. It's the only time in my life where I've driven home with 400 pounds of moose in my lap and another 500 strapped to the roof. Yeah, tied down with duct tape and extension cords. Oh, and the smell. Oh, Jesus. I can still remember Barb's face when we pulled up to the house. <laughs> yeah, that's because it was her car. <laughs> and then you tried to convince <laughs> Craig that we killed it in self-defense. Oh, that almost worked, too. <laughs> Sorry, man. For what? Uh, I I didn't mean to bring him up. Yeah, don't be. It's a good story. Eh? Funny, eh? Lou always said that's what made him a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, who knows, eh? Huh. What is that? What? Oh, it's a it's a chess set. I didn't know you played chess. I don't. Well, not yet. What do you mean? I met this guy at my support group. His son died a few years back, and we got to talking about the boys, and he told me he signed up for some kayaking lessons because it was something his son loved doing when he was alive. Said it helped with the, uh... Anyway, uh, Craig loved chess, so I thought I'd give it a try. Yeah, well, I've heard it's a good game. It's like... Uh... Advanced checkers. What? No, not really. Well, same idea, though, but with different rules. In different pieces. Exactly. So it's a completely different game. Well, if you're going to be like that about it, then forget it. Forget what? Hey, was that your truck parked outside of Benjamin Hurley's house a couple of weeks ago? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was uh, putting in a sauna, asked me to do the wiring for him. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, he also needed some help laying the concrete in the basement. Oh, so you were out there a lot. Well, not a lot. Sounds like a lot. Well, it wasn't. You know he's a fruit, eh? He's not a fruit. Yes, he is. Uh, what makes you so sure? You've seen his hair, right? That doesn't mean anything. He's a kindergarten teacher. Well, I'm telling you, I spent a couple of days with the guy, and there's nothing like that going on over there. Oh, yeah? And what makes you so sure? Just trust me. I'm sure. The guy teaches cooking classes out of his house. He has a cat. He <sighs> drinks wine when he's at the bar. And he's got an orange car. Well, Jerry's car is turquoise. You'd think he's a fruit? No, because we all know Jerry's wife chose that color. So? So this guy doesn't have a wife. It's a stupid rumor. Well, a couple of guys at the mill say it's not. Oh, and you listen to them, huh? They say he's from Montreal. So What? And he drinks bottled water. I drink bottled water. What does that make me? Don't do that. I'm serious. So am I. 
fruit. Excuse me. What? You calling me a fruit? No. You just said fruit. Yeah, but I said fruit like he's a fruit, not you're a fruit. That's not what you said. Well, that's what I meant. I'm not a fruit. I know. You've known me my whole life. You know me. I know. If the boys start thinking I'm a fruit, they're going to start thinking you're a fruit too, you know what I mean? No. What are you talking about? We've been best friends our whole lives. I'm not a fruit. I didn't say you were. Then why are you calling you fruit? I wasn't calling you a fruit. Uh, That's what you said. Yeah, but that's not what I meant. What I was saying is... I don't care what you were trying to say. Don't call me a fruit. You're not a fruit. I'm not a fruit. Neither one of us are fruit, okay? Okay. Besides, there's nothing wrong with people like that. I'm just not one of them. Yeah, well, I don't care for people like that. Yeah, well, I don't care for vegetarians, but I still talk to your wife. That's different. Not in my eyes, it's not. Well, it is in mine. Why is that? You know why. Then say it. No. Why not? Because I don't want to. You can't, can you? Would you drop it already? I'll drop it when you say it. You say it. Coward. Don't call me that. Then say it. Because being gay is a sin. There. Hmm. What about suicide? Oh, man. You know that's different. Hmm? How? It just is. Yeah? Then why do you still go to that same church that refused to have my son's funeral? Hmm? Oh, come on. Look, I've been going there my whole life. Yeah? Well, if it's different, then why didn't you say something to Father Bob about it? And what was I supposed to say? That he was a good kid. That he deserved to be buried with his family. My parents are buried there. Lou's parents are there too, but Craig isn't. He took away my son's last rites, so don't you go telling me that it's different, because it's not. Father Bob was just following the rules. If it's about the rules, then why did Father David allow him to be buried at St. John's? Father David comes from a different generation than Father Bob. I don't care. All right, he humiliated us in front of everyone we know, and I will never forgive him for it. Paul, listen. No, I'm done listening. Where are you going? I gotta finish the well before it gets dark. You know the way out. The day you were born was not the best day of my life. It was not the first time I ever saw your father cry, and you were not the most precious thing we had ever seen. And I was never one of those annoying mothers who would talk endlessly about how great their child was. I did not gush about all the things you had done and all the things you were going to accomplish, and I never once pulled out my wallet full of pictures to prove it. You didn't make me the best presents on my birthday and at Christmas, or leave me notes telling me how much you loved me. You never hugged and kissed me every night before bed, no matter what, and you never wanted to curl up beside me on the couch on movie night. I never went to your hockey games, and I didn't embarrass you by screaming my head off every time you touched the puck. We never had the awkward sex talk, and you didn't make fun of me about it for years after. I never caught you smoking cigarettes behind the house because you wanted to be more like your dad. And we didn't cry together that time Kelly broke your heart. We never used to talk late into the night with cinnamon toast and tea, or sing Billy Joel songs at the top of our lungs as we made homemade candy at Christmas. You were not gentle or sensitive or a romantic at heart. 
You are not the one thing I was most proud of in this world, and you were not the part of me that I loved best. I was not your mother. I can't be. Because if I was, I wouldn't be able to go on from here. Hey, time for dinner. I'm grabbing veggies for the salad and then we're all sitting down to eat together. And no is not an option tonight. Oh my God, I'm going to kill him. I really am. Jim, we have no veggies tonight because you didn't build a fence like I asked you to. Now who's paranoid? Oh no, no, my tomato plants. My carrots too, even my lettuce is gone. Oh, come on now, really? The potatoes? What kind of animal digs up and eats potatoes? You! Why, you little son of a... You listen to me and you listen good, you little terror. If I catch you anywhere near my garden again, I will kill you. Liz! No, I'm serious. There is a rifle in my garage with your name on it. You wouldn't shoot a fox, would you? God, no. I get Jim to do it. Liz! Look what it did! It's just a garden. But it's my garden and now it's ruined. What is that? What? That, right there. Nothing. Well, obviously it's something, because I can see it. You don't have to worry about it. I'm not worried about it. I just want to know what it is. Well, I don't want to tell you what it is. Why not? Because I don't need a lecture right now. I am not in the mood for this. Neither am I. So let's drop it. If you don't tell me what it is right now, I will wrestle you to the ground and take it from you. You wouldn't. Oh, I would. I'll give you to the count of three. One. (laughs) I'm serious. Two. (laughs) Really? We're going to do this. Fine. Three! Don't, don't, don't! It's an egg, okay? It's an egg. An egg? Yes. Why do you have an egg? Because it's a long story and I don't want to talk about it. And I take it this egg is not from the grocery store? No. What's so special about it? That's what I don't want to talk about. Well, you can't bring it into the house if that's what you were thinking. What? Birds carry all kinds of diseases we don't even know about. The best thing you could do right now is go put the egg back where it came from. I don't know where it came from. Well, I'm sure if you go back to where you found it and look up, you'll discover something new and exciting. I didn't find it. It was given to me. Sometimes I wonder why I married him. Jim, get out here now! It wasn't Jim, it was the fox. The what? Nothing. No, you need to explain what you just said. Fine. But only if you promise me you'll listen to the whole story without interrupting me. Sure. What? I promise. When I came outside this morning, the fox was out here waiting for me. How do you know it was waiting for you? That's an interruption. Right. Sorry. He walked right up to me and he placed the egg at my feet. Then he ran away. Maybe he was saving it for later. No, he wanted me to have it. How do you know that? I just do. So let me get this straight. You're holding an egg that was inside the mouth of a wild animal. When's the last time you washed your hands? That's not the point. It is when you live in my house and you touch my stuff. What if it's a sign? Oh, don't do that. What? That. What you're doing there. You can't do that. The egg is just an egg. There's no meaning behind any of it, so please don't start looking for something that isn't there. I know you're sad. I'm sad too. That's why I made dinner. I don't want dinner. You know what? You're right. Forget it. Forget that I was trying to help. Forget that I just spent three hours in the kitchen making something no one wants to eat. Forget that Jim wants to stay out in the garage and you'd rather be out here. And forget the fact that no one wants to talk to me, except for Paul, of course, who shows up out of the blue and wants to see you, and I'm the one who has to say no. 
I know it's the anniversary and I know it's hard and I should be better about this, but I'm not. I'm pissed off and this is not an excuse. It's not, but I haven't eaten all day and you know how I am when I haven't eaten. You're my little sister and I love you and I tried my best, but it's just not working and everything I do is just, I don't know. Give me a hug. Paul was here? Yeah, I sent him away. How is he doing? Oh, you know, he looked like a lost puppy. Last week I made Jim go over there to check in on him. I thought it would be good for the both of them, but apparently it wasn't. I'm telling you, those two guys are as stubborn as their fathers were. What do you mean? Well, Jim said they ended up fighting over some fruit and then he left. That's weird. Paul doesn't even like fruit. I could barely get him to eat vegetables. Hey, I'm as confused as you are. That's too bad. You can tell how much they miss each other. I know. Anyways, if you want to see him today, I can drive you over. I don't know. No pressure. Thanks. Can you do me a favor? Anything. Promise me you won't shoot the fox. <sighs> I promise. But only if you'll come in for dinner. Deal. You hear that? The garden's all yours. Hey, I found something. What? Just get over here. Tracks. Yep, looks like they go that way. Where are you going? Shouldn't we follow these? No, probably not. Lou doesn't wear a size 10. But you do. Those aren't size... Oh, yeah. Maybe they are. Now what? Well, I say we still check Carol's Creek and then walk the hydro lines up to the quarry. And if she's not there? Well, then we keep looking. The fox could see the day was coming to an end as the sun began to set. He needed to find his story and find it fast. First he tried doing what he did best. He told a made-up story about tomorrow and all the things he imagined would happen. But made-up stories are not real stories. So it did not work and the sun continued to set. Then he tried to find clues in all the memories of his life. But that didn't work either. Memory sent him in the wrong direction, to yesterday and days before, instead of to tomorrow and the days after that. And the long shadows of the afternoon appeared, and the sun continued to set. What did I say about walking in here with your work boots on? I'm hanging up my coat. And I thank you for that, but take your boots off first. I can't take them off when I've got my coat on. Why not? Because I can't. Well, you're not walking through here unless you take them off. Oh, come on. Jim, so help me God. All right, all right. Keep your panties on. I'm doing it. Excuse me? What? I said I'm doing it. No, I warned you about that kind of language. You keep it at the miller with your buddies, you got it? I'm sorry. I'm your wife. I said I was sorry, all right? All right. 
There's a towel hanging in the bathroom for you. Put your work clothes in the washing machine, not in the clothes hamper. Got it? Why do we have a clothes hamper if I can't put my clothes in it? Can you do what I asked for once without all the hoopla? The what? Forget it. Just put them in the washing machine. Okay, I'm doing it. But only because I love you. Yeah, well, thanks for that. Hey, what's for dinner? Whatever you want. The fridge is full of options. You didn't make anything? I didn't say that. Oh, so you made something just not for me. Jim, I asked you this morning if you were going to be home for dinner and you said no. Yeah, but I figured you'd still be making something. You're right, I did, and then I ate it. What am I supposed to do now? I don't know, you're a big boy, I'm sure you'll figure it out. Hey, is something wrong? No. Liz. I'm not making you dinner. I'm not asking you to. Good, because I'm not doing it. What's wrong? Nothing. Can you just tell me what it is so I can stop being punished for it? I'm not punishing you for anything. What did I say about your work clothes? Look, just give me a second, would you? You were distracting me with your talking. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were having a conversation here. Where do you want them again? I already told you this. In the washing machine. Not beside it, not on top of it, but in it. It's really easy. You just lift the lid. Hey, don't talk to me like I'm a child. Then don't act like one. Why are you being like that? Because I love you. Uh, you're right. Well, thanks for that. You want me to zap you some of that chicken from last night? Nah, I had it for lunch. We'll grab something else. Just so you know, I spoke with Lucille. She's going to come and stay with us for a while. Oh? Why? They got into a big fight again last night. Is everything all right? I don't think so. He said some pretty terrible things. She's talking about leaving him. No. Really? Yeah. What are you doing? Nothing. What is that? Cereal. You're having cereal for dinner? Yeah, so? Jim, that's not dinner. Well, it is tonight. Are you trying to piss me off? No. Because if that's what you're trying to do, it's working. I'm not. Cereal? We have a fridge full of food and you're eating cereal. Uh, Lizette, are you going to tell me what's wrong or are we going to keep doing this all night? There is nothing wrong. Fine then. But let the record show that I did ask many times what was wrong. You really want to know? Oh, so I did do something wrong? Do you want to know or not? Of course I do. Why didn't you tell me what happened to your hand? I, I did. I, I told you I broke it at work. Yes, but you didn't tell me you broke it by punching the side of your truck. Who told you that? Barb did. Yeah, well, maybe Barb shouldn't be putting her nose where it doesn't belong. Dale told her, and then she told me because they're worried about you. I wish people would mind their own business. She thinks you were having a panic attack. Is that true? She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's a nurse. It wasn't a panic attack. Dale told Barb that you had to pull the truck over because you couldn't catch your breath. That you stepped outside and then you got really upset and punched the side of the truck. So? So you broke your hand. That's not good. It was a stupid mistake. How long have you been having panic attacks? They're not panic attacks. If something like that is happening to you, I don't want to hear it from Barb. I want to hear it from you. And, and what am I supposed to say? Uh, hey, babe. 
I keep having these moments where I can't breathe and then it feels like someone is standing on my chest and I can't calm down and I don't know how to stop it once it starts. Yes, that's exactly what I want you to say. Oh, come on. No, I'm serious. So am I. This is about Craig, isn't it? Oh, don't start with that. I'm not in the mood. You never talk about him. Yes, I do. When? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't keep track. No, I do. And it never happens. Like, never. And neither does Paul. Paul? What does he have to do with this? Everything. How's he doing? I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen him. Exactly. What? You're totally avoiding him. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Lucille says he's not doing very well. What am I supposed to do about that? He's your best friend. So? So I think it would be good if you went over there to see how he's doing. No, we don't do that. Do what? That, the touchy-feely stuff. Oh, Jim, grow up. You wouldn't understand. Then find another reason to be there. Like what? Like, I don't know. Bring him back his shop vac. It's been sitting on the front porch for over a year. That's dumb. No, it's a reason to drop by. Then the two of you can hang out, have a couple beers, smoke a few cigarettes, and then when things feel right, you can ask him how he's doing. Easy peasy. I'm not doing that. Why not? Because I don't want to. Jim! No, I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Oh, really? Yes, really. That's too bad, because I'm not done yet. Oh, would you stop it, woman? Don't talk to me like that. Then don't push me like that. You keep this up, and you'll be sleeping on the couch for a very long time. No, not in my house, I won't. You mean our house? No, I mean my house. I pay the bills here. I sleep where I want. Oh, you want to bet? Yes. Yes, I do. <gasps> The fox didn't know what else to do, so he asked Mother Earth to help him find his story. But she remained silent, as she always had, and the fox watched the sun rest on the edge of the horizon. His story would end in all the colors of the evening sky, and there was nothing he could do about it. You see, since there was no story to continue, there was no story to tell. So the fox jumped off the edge of the earth with the beautiful sun and was never seen again. See anything? No. Uh, maybe she went back to the house. And maybe. Should we head back? I don't know. We still have to check over by the Trans-Canada. You really think she'd go that far? I don't know. Here. How about this? You go back taking Camp Road 25 in case she went that way. I'll head over to the Trans-Canada. If one of us finds her, we set off a flare. Sound good? Yeah. You gonna be all right? And not until we find her. What time is it? Oh, hey. What are you doing sitting in the dark? Nothing. You're just sitting there by yourself? Yes, I'm just sitting here by myself. It's, uh, it's almost 11 o'clock. I know. 
You okay? What? You've been drinking. Sorry. Stopped at Haps for a few beers after work. How many is a few? What does it matter? It doesn't, I guess. Fine. I went to the bar. We had some beers. I didn't keep track because I didn't think I had to. I, I drank, I don't know, six or eight beers, but they were bottles. I threw some darts with Dale. I went to the washroom once, smoked a cigarette on my way home, and parked the truck in my usual spot. Are we done with the third degree? You don't have to be defensive about it. Well, it kind of feels like I do. That's too bad. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Why do you drive home like that? I was fine. Try telling that to the police when they pull you over. Hello? No. You never used to stay out like this. I lost track of time. You didn't even call me to tell me where you were. I didn't think I had to. You don't have to, but it would have been nice if you had. Right. I need a beer. You work tomorrow. So what? Whoa! What happened in here? Don't worry, I'll clean it up. There's glass everywhere. It's my mother's china. All of it? Yes, all of it. That's a lot of china. I know. But why is it broken all over the kitchen floor? Because that's where I broke it. You did it on purpose? Yes. It felt good. We should break more stuff. Why would you do something like that? Because it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. What are you talking about? I was saving them for Craig when he got married. Um, Lou. What do we do with all this stuff? My parents' wedding rings, your dad's tools. And what about our family photos? They don't mean anything to anyone else. They mean something to us. We should have a huge bonfire. No, we shouldn't. We could get rid of everything. Stop talking like that. You're not making any sense. So that's it? The conversation is over? What do you want me to say? Something. Anything would be helpful. I can't talk to you when you're like this. We'll speak in the morning. No, I'm not waiting for you to sleep it off so we can have a conversation. What are you talking about? I can smell you from here. Why do you always have to be so dramatic, hmm? I mean, breaking all the china, was that really the answer you were looking for? At the time, yes. I... I don't even know what to say to that. Forget it. I'll clean it up. No, that's not the point. So you do this all the time. You you create drama. I mean, it's hard enough to deal with everything else going on here. Now I gotta deal with this, too. I mean, come on. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to inconvenience you with my feelings. You sound like Craig when you talk like that. There it is. Even now, you can't help yourself. Well, here we go again with the dramatics. Nothing he ever did was good enough for you. Mm. You always had to make a comment about something. That's not true. You never let up, no matter what. Just like your father did with you. Hey, my old man did the best he could in this situation. He was a bully. Well, if you mean he didn't coddle me, you're right, he didn't. You, on the other hand, you wouldn't let the boy be. You're always trying to protect him from everything. I'm his mother. You wouldn't let him stand on his own two feet. He was suffering from depression. You never took the time to understand what that means. Don't give me that. I supported him. When he, when he was struggling, I got him into hockey. I signed him up for baseball. I went to every one of his games. You gave him a hard time about taking medication. Yes. Why is it always about medication? Hmm? Because he needed it. No, he needed his family. And instead he pushed us away. It's a disease, Paul. Don't give me that. You see, if I had spoken to my father that way, he would have beat me into the middle of next week. Yes, well, that says a lot about his parenting skills. Well, 
He must have done something, right? Because I'm still here. You see? That's exactly what I'm talking about. After all that's happened and you're still hard on him. No. He gave up. I can't forgive him for that. That's a healthy way of looking at it. Oh, well, it's a hell of a lot better than sitting at home in the dark feeling sorry for myself. Or maybe I should start drinking my face off every night and pretending like nothing's happened. Yeah, or maybe I'll go and break all the china in the kitchen and maybe I'll feel better. I was upset. No, you were unstable. And you wonder where Craig got it from. <sighs> we'll talk in the morning. I'm leaving. Fine. I'll stay with my sister. You can have the house. I don't want it. The house? What are you talking about? I can't do this anymore. Okay, just, okay, stop right there. You're being overdramatic. You can't say those things to me and then take it back. Look, I didn't mean it like that. Yes, you did. Don't leave. Let me go. Listen, I was upset. I take it back. Let go of me. Lou, please. Now! I didn't mean it. Yes, you did. You're angry with Craig, but mostly you're angry with me. You blame me for what happened, and I can't do this anymore. Fine, then. Go, and while you're at it, go and hang yourself. And then everyone can blame me for that, too. Hey, what are you still doing out here? It's almost midnight. I was enjoying the company. It's getting pretty late. Why don't you come inside? I'm good. Don't feel like you have to wait up for me. Hey, give us some privacy. We're talking here. Please don't yell at him like that. You'll scare him away. Trust me, it doesn't work. I yell at him all the time. That's not funny. I'm not trying to be funny. Besides, I don't trust wild animals near the house. Just leave us alone, please. Uh, you know it doesn't need you taking care of it, right? In fact, it's probably better if you left it alone. And maybe wouldn't hang around the house so much. I don't do anything to make him stay. He does that on his own. Uh-huh. Besides, I like that he hangs out here. You would? Yeah, I would. It feels like he's protecting us. What? Nothing. He is beautiful. I'll give him that. He is, isn't he? Yeah. He's pretty cute. Have you ever seen a fox behave like that before? No. Me neither. He's an odd one, that's for sure. Can I ask you something? Sure. I'm being serious. So am I. No, like, serious, serious. Like, so serious you had to say it twice? You know what? Forget it. Hey, you don't want to talk about it? Then we won't talk about it. Good? Good. But I do want to talk about it. I know you do, so spit it out. Fine. But promise me you'll keep an open mind? Sure. Promise. I promise. What else do you want from me? Nothing. I'm not sure how to say this. Does the fox remind you of someone? Oh, um, no. Why? Does he remind you of someone? Maybe. Maybe? Like, what if the fox is... What? I don't know. What if he's... You know? No, I don't. What if he's Craig, who's come back to tell me he's okay? <laughs> You're kidding me, right? Oh, Lou. Forget I said anything. No, you... 
caught me off guard. Give me a sec. You think I'm crazy? No, I think you're grieving. That's a nice way of saying crazy. You know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm not the best person to be talking to about this. But you're my sister. Yeah, but I'm also a Catholic. So? So I don't believe people come back as furry little creatures to visit their loved ones. I just don't. Well, you don't have to be rude about it. I'm not being rude. I'm being honest. Oh, is that what that is? Listen, I know you're feeling a bit crazy right now, and I get that. I'm trying to support you here. I'm not crazy. Why would you say that? You think the fox is Craig coming back to visit you? Just think what that sounds like for a second. This was a big mistake. I am trying to give you some perspective here. You have to start dealing with the fact that life goes on. My life ended the day Craig died. I know it might feel that way, but you're still here. And you can't just sit in my backyard all day pretending that life is going on all around you. Is that what you think I'm doing? Not all the time, but a lot, yes. <laughs> what? Thank you. For what? For giving me perspective. I'll be gone by the end of the week. Gone? But why? I need to get my own place. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Everyone keeps telling me how I should be grieving and I'm done with it. That is not what I was doing. That's exactly what you were doing. No one gets to tell me how I feel about anything anymore. I'll be gone by the end of the week. Lou! Don't leave, please! Lou! Hey, man. Hey. You want to come in? No, I, I just need a sec. Uh, sure. Uh, you want a beer? No, I, I promised Lou I'd be back soon. Okay. I gotta say this. Why you and not me? I'm sorry? Why didn't he call me? Oh, jeez, Paul... I don't know. I'm his dad. I'm the one he should have called. Like I said... And was he... Was he upset with me? I don't think so. Did he mention anything? No, he just... Called and asked me to go fishing. That's it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you wouldn't lie to me, would you? No. no. Why would I do that? I don't know. Maybe he said something you didn't want to tell me. Hey, man, nothing like that happened. You promise? I promise. How's the Chevy? What does that have to do with anything? Uh, Dale mentioned the clutch was sticking again. Yeah, it, it was, but it's fine now. Well, if the clutch is sticking, it might be part of a bigger problem. It's not. <laughs> How would you know? Because I fixed it. You fixed it. Yeah. It was easy. No, it's not. Well, it's not that hard. <laughs> Says the guy who can't even fix a friggin' toaster. I can fix a friggin' toaster, thank you very much. Oh, yeah? Then how'd you fix it? I did the... Hmm? Anyways, it works fine now. Really? Did you replace the clutch pin? Because the pin needs to be reattached to the engine valve in order for the carburetor to work. Yeah. Well, something like that. Why are you lying to me? I'm not. 
There's no such thing as a clutch pin. Well, I, I did something that worked. Yeah, how'd you fix it? Is it really that hard for you to believe that I fixed something? Yes, yes it is. Thanks, friend, you are. Look, I've fixed your vehicles for over 20 years now, and there's a reason for it. Paul. No, look at me. If you're going to lie, I want you to look at me in the eyes when you do it. How did you fix the clutch? I... Uh, huh? I didn't. I took it to Edwards. You took it to Edwards' garage? Yeah. You've been my best friend my whole life, and you took it to him? He, he was at the bar one night, and we got to talking. <sighs> he, he told me to bring it in, so I did. You always bring it to me. But it was a one-time thing. What aren't you telling me? Nothing. You're lying. You can't even look at me in the eyes. Hey, hey, back off, man. Huh? Or what? I'm serious. Take a step back. Well, maybe I don't want to. Hmm? <laughs> don't. I'm serious. You think you're better than me. Uh, you need to calm down. Yeah, what if I don't want to calm down? <laughs> Let me go. Not until you settle down. Here. Don't be stubborn. I don't need your pity. It's not pity. I thought you were my friend. I am. No, you're a liar. you just leave us alone for god's sakes you're not helping this is not helping it's not helping her and it's definitely not helping me oh you are a piece of work i tell you go on get out of here i said get out of here oh you were so lucky i can't get my hands on you right now because if i could i would grab you and i would shake 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 until there's nothing left of you and just because I'm yelling at you doesn't mean I think you are who she says you are, because you're not. Yeah, 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 you tilt your head, you smug little. What do you want from me? Tell me I'll do it, I will. Because there's nothing left. You've taken it all away, and now it feels like... Like I loved you too much because it hurts all the time. My chest literally hurts when I breathe because I miss you so much. And it doesn't go away and it never will and I know it won't and I can't do anything about it and it just makes me so mad. I am so mad at you and I have never been mad at you in my whole life ever. And I can't. I can't do this anymore. Well, don't just stand there. Say something, would you? <laughs> yeah. I didn't think so. You're nothing but a fox. A stupid little fox. And I don't want you hanging around here anymore. Liz? Out of my way. 
Whoa, 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 hon. Look at me. You, you don't want to do this. Put the gun down. No, I'm sorry. I have to do this. No, you don't. Listen to me. Put the gun down. I can't have him around here anymore. I'm sorry. That's right. Run away. And take this with you. No, Liz. Oh, no. What's wrong? Uh, nothing. Everything's fine. What happened? Uh, it's the egg. Um, there was an accident. What do you mean? It was me. I broke it. Why the gunshot? Oh, uh... Liz, no. why do you have the gun? I was just trying to scare him away. You didn't. No, no nothing happened. The, the gun went off in the air. Where are you going? I need to make sure he's okay. We'll come with you. No, you won't. You've done enough already. Babe. I've really done it this time, haven't I? No. Well, maybe a bit. It'll be fine. It will... She just needs some time to cool off. Maybe we should follow her to make sure she's all right. No. We should give her some space. I didn't mean it. I know you didn't. Come here. It'll be okay. Hello. Uh, most of you know me. For those of you who don't, my name is Paul. Uh, I've been coming to this family support group for uh, almost a year now. Uh, I usually don't say much at these things. Uh, I'm not good at this stuff, but tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of my son's death, so I thought it might be good to say something. I have a hard time talking about him. His name's Craig. He was a sweet kid. Gentle. He's really gentle. Like I could never get him to lay a body check in hockey because he just didn't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. That was him in a nutshell. I never know what to say when people ask me why he did what he did. I mean, nothing fits. So my buddy Riel, uh, he worked for the Ministry Fighting Forest Fires, and the year before he retired, the government introduced this program where university students were brought in to help out. Riel was one of the senior guys, so he was put in charge of one of the crews. Now these kids had only been on the job for a couple of weeks. Enough time for some basic training, but that's about it. None of them had any real experience working on a forest fire. But it was a, it was a really dry summer that year, and... Within days, Riel and his crew, they find themselves helping out on the front lines. They were called in to set up what's called a fire line. You know, they spent all morning digging it up, and by midday they had worked themselves into a small valley. The thing is, they didn't know the wind had changed direction, and it picked up pretty quick, and before they knew it, the fire was, was on top of them. And Riel knew they were in trouble. See, he also knew that they couldn't outrun the fire. So I told the crew that they would have to turn and walk directly through the flames if they wanted to survive. And some of the kids refused. Well, they were scared. They thought it was a better idea to try and run away from it. And Riel pleaded with them, 
begged them to follow his instructions, trust his experience. But they wouldn't listen. And before he knew it, they were running away. He didn't have time to chase after him, so he had to save the ones he could. He turned, and he walked them right into the fire. He was right. The 16 kids that followed him that day survived. The four who didn't died. Because no one can outrun a forest fire. You're probably wondering why what this has to do with my son. I didn't know what was going on with Craig at the time. We didn't talk like that. Him and his mom did, but I, I don't know. It's always harder for us. I wasn't there for him when he needed me. I wasn't there to walk him through the fire. Instead, he tried to outrun it, except no one can outrun depression. But, uh, boy, he did his best. And that's all I could have asked of him. Thank you. Paul? You there? <laughs> Sorry, we're closed. Paul, please. Edwards is open late. Maybe he can help you out. But just... Give me a second, would you? I need your help. Sorry. I only help my friends. Really? Really? No. No, you don't get to be angry at me about this. It's not my fault he didn't call you. He... You want to know what happened? Fine. He called me that morning like he always did on the weekends. He said, hey, Uncle Jim, you want to go fishing? I said, I don't know, kiddo. It's a bit cold out there, eh? First frost is down. Please, I need to get out of the house. I thought about it for a second. Then I said, ah, why not? I'll meet you down at Aaron's Point in an hour. Thanks, Uncle Jim. Hey, no worries, kiddo. And don't forget to bring your long johns because you can't borrow mine. He laughed. <laughs> I... Hung up the phone, I got my stuff together, I stopped at Timmy's, grabbed a coffee for me and a hot chocolate for him, like I always did, and then I headed out. When I pulled up, his car was already there, I thought, wow, the kid got here before I did. That's a first. So I grabbed my stuff, and I headed up to where we usually meet. I didn't see him anywhere, so I walked down to the river. Nothing. I called out his name. Nothing. Then I turned around. Somehow, he... Managed to get a belt around one of the tree branches. He was... I, I grabbed on, onto him and tried holding him up, but it was too late. I knew I had to cut him down, so I did. It was cold, like cold, cold. So I, I took off my coat and I wrapped him up in it. We just sat there, you know, me holding tight, listening to the river. I don't know how long it was before I pulled out my phone and called Kev at the police station. I... I told him what happened, so he drove out. And he followed him with the ambulance, no sirens, no lights. He came over, sat down beside me. He said, Jim, I'll take all the time you need. 
You let us know when you're ready to let them go. But I promise you, we're going to take good care of them. You promised. So I did. I let him go. You want to know why he didn't call you? He didn't want you to be the one who found him. He was trying to protect you. Well, at least that's what my counselor tells me. Well, then why call you? I don't know. We're still working that one out. What do you need help with? Oh, uh, yeah, it's Lucille. She ran off into the woods and hasn't come back. Why would she do that? Well, she's been watching this little fox. It's been hanging around the house lately. Liz and her got into a fight. Liz tried to shoot the fox, and then she broke the egg. The egg. Yeah, apparently the fox gave her the egg, and so she took it as a sign the fox was Craig. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, uh, she thinks the fox in our backyard is Craig. Of course she does. But now she's run off looking for him. Into the woods. And it's getting late, and we're starting to worry about her. Are you sure she's just not over at Barb's or something? No, Lizette's been on the phone all evening. No one's seen her. Well, she doesn't want me finding her. You know the backwoods better than anyone else. I figured if we both went out there looking, it wouldn't be long before one of us found her. Fine, I'll do it. Great. On one condition. If she gets angry because I'm out there, that's on you. Fair enough. Is Liz okay with this? Oh, yeah. She's the one who suggested it. It's good to see you're still bad at lying. Let me get my coat. Oh, hey. I, um... I appreciate what you said. Yeah, just grab your coat. Right. And when the sun returned the next morning, life continued as it always had, and stories continued as they always do. For you see, the fox did not understand that our stories are not just ours to tell. Other people tell them too, because our stories live in the people around us. And when we lose our way, when we feel like we can't remember our own story anymore, and that it might be coming to an end, that everything is going to be okay. Because when we can't tell our own story, the people in our lives tell our story for us. Even when it remains hidden from our ears, when we think it has gone away and it will not come back again, I assure you, it will. For you see, that is the true magic of stories. Your story lives in me, And my story lives in you. So, little fox, remember this. Your story remains safe. In the most secret of all secret places. In the utmost cherished and delicate parts of the hearts of the ones you love. I promise you that. And when you need it, when the light is dim and the path is long... They will be there for you to guide you home. I guarantee it. Because you are loved.
You don't have to hide back there. Sorry. I wasn't sure if you wanted to see me. Hello. Hi. He hasn't moved since I got here. I'm sorry, Lou. Looks like he might have been hit by a car. I mean, the Trans Canada's just... Anyway, he's gone. I didn't want to leave him out here on his own. No, of course not. He looks so peaceful lying there. Part of me was hoping he'd jump up and run away. Would you like me to leave? Would you go if I said yes? Probably not. Then by all means. People are worried about you, Lou. I know. Will you let me take you home? I wish he had left us a note. Me too. He had a lunch packed and his little chest set with him. Why would he bring those things if he was going to... I don't know. I should have seen it coming. No one did. But I'm his mother. I should have seen it. He was good at hiding it from us. I didn't kiss him when I left for work that morning. I was in a hurry and I forgot. We were both in a rush. Sometimes I wonder if I had said goodbye to him. You can't think Maybe. like that. But I do. I have this old message he left on my phone. I play it over and over again because I'm afraid I'll forget what his voice sounds like. I keep thinking he's going to walk into the shop like he used to. Sometimes I hear him calling for me, or worse, I go to ask him to do something and I have to remind myself that he's gone. It's, it's like my heart doesn't speak to my head anymore. <sighs> Temperature's starting to drop. I'm not leaving him out here on his own. What would you like to do? I don't know. Actually, there is one thing. What? Would you sit with me for a bit? Of course. If you're cold, I could build us a fire. No, I'm good. If you want, I can carry him back to the house tonight. And we can give him a, a proper burial in the morning. Maybe. Oh, we can bring him back here in the morning. And do it somewhere around here. I don't want to think about it right now. Right. What if I was to make us one of those, uh... There is no way to fix this, so please stop trying. Sorry. Don't be... I know what you're trying to do. I appreciate it. I do. But please just sit with me. Sure. It's never going to get better, is it? No. But it will get easier. <laughs> Do you remember the book we used to read him before bed? The Petit Renard? The Little Fox. Wore that damn thing out. I had to put duct tape down the spine just to keep it together. He was our little fox, wasn't he? Yes. Yes, he was. And now he's gone. No. He's here. I can feel him. I can't. I wish I could, but I can't. Well, you have to trust me when I say that he is. 
Once there was a fox. What are you doing? Once there was a fox. Lou, please. Who lived in the forest. You do remember. Of course I do. Read the damn thing to him at least a thousand times. And he had a magical gift for storytelling. Can we not do this? Please. He was so good at telling stories that animals would come from all around and from far away just to hear them being told. And the fox would spend all of his days making up story after story and telling them to anyone who would listen. But one day, as sometimes happens, things changed. Hey, Mom, I'm just heading off to work now. Sorry I lost track of time, so I have to leave my dishes, but I'll wash them when I get home. I promise. Anywho, Mike and I are going to try and catch a movie after work, so don't worry about me for dinner. Oh, and Dad wants some tacos tonight, so I took some ground beef out of the freezer. And yes, I put it on a plate. I'll see you tonight, after the show. I love you. Bye-bye. That was This Is How We Got Here by Keith Barker. I'm Laura Mullen, here with Chris Tolley, and you're listening to Play Me on CBC Radio 1 and on Sirius XM. According, I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I'm, I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. You understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. According to the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, 160 million people worldwide contemplate suicide. And sadly, 800,000 of them die from it every year. However, this means more than 159 million people survive suicide-related crises each year. That leaves hope that more deaths can be prevented and fewer loved ones will be left to cope with the devastating loss. For writer Keith Barker, these statistics are more than just numbers. His family's tragedy is what propelled him to write his award-winning play. I had a chance to chat with Keith and ask him why he wanted to write about such a painful subject. Keith, I know this show is about so much more than just suicide, but suicide does play a major role in the story. And I'm wondering, why why did you choose to tackle such a difficult and weighty subject? Sure. Unfortunately, I've had the experience of several people in my life who have uh, taken their life. Two of my cousins did, um, uh, took their lives. And, um, and then a, a close family friend, um, who was really young, he was in his twenties and decided to take his life. Um, he, instead of going left, he was, it was in Toronto and instead of going left to work, he took a right to High Park. And, um, and that, 
those experiences have just there's just something about them like my aunt and uncle are are living us they did my uncle doesn't live there anymore but my aunt does still and, and lives in a very small town northern ontario they were you know people knew who they were and knew of their tragedy and so they lived it every day going to the grocery store filling up their gas tank you know sitting with friends at a restaurant people knew and people so if i was with them and you could see the faces of people passing by you could see how people interacted with them there's there's a there's a delicacy that people are trying to be respectful and yeah for the first five years after my cousin um my second cousin uh, took his life. We would go up there for Christmas and for them, they didn't want anything to do with Christmas. They didn't want any kind of reminder of it. It's a very painful time of year for a lot of people. And I learned that through them. And so we would go up, we, we would have our Christmas day and then we would go up the next day and we'd spend four or five days with them and we'd drink good wine and eat good meals and play board games. And I would go for a sauna with my uncle Toyomo and, um, and we just pretend like it it wasn't the holidays, but that we were just there for a visit. And so we were very present in their grieving process. And, you know, they'd have moments where we just leave them be and it would just be my two sisters and my mom and I. And then other moments where one of them would just go and lay down. And so I was, you know, the, that was deeply impactful of, of seeing them go through that process together. And um, I didn't want to write. I didn't want to write about them. I didn't want to write their story. I, what I wanted to do is, is honor their story. And then when uh, our close family friend um, took his life, he was like 23. It was like the smartest, funniest, really talented, you know, human being. Like I just loved being around Daniel and he was really kind of fun and exciting. And he was like the youngest sibling of three. And when he took his life in High Park, that was the moment when I realized I just had to write something about it. Yeah. You know, there's, there's people get angry. People get upset. People have, there, there are some pretty deep seated opinions around suicide. And I wanted to just talk about it in the most humane way. I wanted to, I wanted to put it into a story that, you know, gives people, I don't know, the opportunity to engage with what that might feel like and what that is to be in someone's, to be in someone's skin who is experiencing that and to be, to live and breathe it, but also just to honor that choice as I, I don't have no judgment for people who decide that this world is too much for them and they decide they have to leave. And so um, I also wanted to honor that choice and who that is, but also recognizing how so many people don't realize how much they're loved and how much they're cared for and how much impact people have in day-to-day -day lives that sometimes we get disconnected and we forget. And in a moment we make a choice that is, you know, people feel for the rest of their lives. And I really wanted to try to capture that in this play. You talk about how there's guilt and often shame associated with suicide and I'm wondering how you approached that and how you tackled that as a writer. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want there to be an answer about why, why. So the, in the, in the play, the character's called Craig and Craig is, um, takes his life and we never see him in the play. But I also didn't want, like, so many of us look for an answer when something like this happens. When tragedy happens, people look for the who's to blame whose fault it is, why did this happen? Those are natural questions that come out of these moments. And I really didn't want to point to one thing, oh, this is why. 
I wanted to leave it like so many families know and understand is they don't get answers. Someone, most, most people who take their life don't leave a note. Yeah. You know, and to me is that, that shame as well, because people will ask that, it's, you know, why, why would he do that? And, you know, and what does a parent say to that? They don't know. Right. And then you question yourself. You, what did I do wrong? The what ifs are, you know, in, in anything in life, what ifs can be, uh, they, they immobilize you. They, they can take over your life and you spend the rest of your life questioning, thinking about the what ifs. What if I'd only done this? What if that didn't happen? Why did that happen to us and all that stuff? And I wanted to really capture what it is to get and to walk through that. It seems like not only has your family dealt with a lot of trauma, but so have you. And I'm just wondering if writing is a way of dealing with it or understanding it. Yeah, I mean, I realized in the last year that I write a lot about loss. And, you know, my father left my mom when I was four, not to say it's my dad's fault, but I can remember feeling the deep loss of not having a dad and not knowing and always wanting to be, and he lived in, he lived in Toronto where I live now. And I, I I'd never had a relation with him, with him and always wanted one. And I didn't know why. And I've always felt that loss. And then my mom smoked. And I can remember at a very young age feeling that idea of like, Oh, I could, I could lose her. I could lose my mom to cancer because of smoking. And I really felt that that PSA went through my life at a very young age. And I used to make her feel guilty all the time. I used to be really hard on her about it. Uh, and then came to understand what addiction is and understand, you know, uh, how unfair it is to put that kind of pressure on someone. But also I just was living it. So when I come to these stories, it's like, I really, I realize that through our life, we are going to lose the people we love. And I continue to think about that and it continues to impact me. And it's just something I, I realize I'm not ready for. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of me writing about these things is about how am I going to process it? Like when I lose my mom, yeah, you know, and, and what does that mean for me? What does that mean for anyone Yeah, to really feel deep love and, and no regrets like that, that, that to me in, in the writing is like, how do we, how do you live and how do you live authentically so that you don't have those regrets? Don't have that moment. Like, Oh, I wish I had said this. And so part of that writing for me is a reminder of that. Mm -hmm. I am dying to talk a little bit, bit about the Fox. Right. Can you, can you tell (laughs) me why, why, why is he there? Okay. Yeah. So my aunt, my aunt, my auntie Jane uh, used to be a, a wildlife rehabilitator. And so she did it on her own time. And she, this is out in Long Lake, Ontario. And, uh, she, if someone hit an owl on the road or, uh, they found a bear cub that didn't have a mother or anything, they would, they would bring, they would bring these animals to my aunt and she would rehabilitate them. And her whole idea is that if they couldn't live in the wild, they weren't pets. So she would, if they couldn't return to the wild, she would have to euthanize them. Then she, so Mm -hmm. she had a, a, a crow that had a broken wing. And so during the winter, she had the crow in her, in her house. And she, uh, all winter just rehabilitated. And in the spring, she let the crow go. And then when she was cleaning in the spring, all of her jewelry, like she would notice things going 
missing, but she'd never really thought about it. And in the spring, when she cleaned the tops of all of her cabinets and everything, she found all kinds of things that the crow would go and grab, <laughs> like a go grab a ring and then go put mm-hmm. it up there. And so she said all these things that the crow had stolen and, and, and hid for her. But the thing was, is that when, when, when my cousins passed away, they really looked to nature for like echoes of, of, of my cousins. Mm-hmm. And she really felt like the crow coming back was, was the boys. Like yeah. there was, there was something about that connection to it. And I find that I've talked to a lot of people who have connected to nature when they lose someone and then nature says or does something that makes them feel that someone is saying something back to them. Like I'm okay. Yeah. And so I really loved, I think that's a beautiful idea. This idea of, of what, what do we need to when, you know, when, when we're suffering with grief and and when we're missing and loving someone. And, and, you know, it, it, at one point in the play, it was about, I connected it to a book that they used to read to, to their, to their son when he was a kid. And it was called Le Petit Renard, the, the, the little fox. And, uh, it was, it's not a real book. I had made it up. And then at one point I was like, well, I should know more about the book. Like they're talking about the book and about that. This was a book that they read to their child. And it really plays a big part in the end of the play. And, uh, and so I took a month off of writing the play and I wrote the story of the little fox just as an exercise, just so I would know what it was. It was like one of the hardest experiences. And you're like going through and editing and taking out words and really trying to really kind of refine it and really distill it down. So I got it as far as I could go. And then at one point I was like, I think, I think I want it in the play. Like I really liked the story. (laughs) And so then it ended up like, it wasn't even, I didn't do it on purpose. I gave the, I, I split it up into four different parts and each character gets a moment to, to, tell a part of that story because they would have all told Craig, they would all sat down at one point at one and read him a a bedtime story. And so to me, it was like a really, it was just kind of a beautiful way to connect them all and also connect them to Craig. Yeah. So I, I have to ask the question is the Fox Craig. I don't know. Is he? Well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love people, uh, people. I have had so many people come up to me and just start telling me why Craig is the Fox or it can't be Craig. So I I love, I love leaving and I'll never, I'll never say, but I, I love the guessing. So (laughs) I'm Chris Tolley and I'm talking with award-winning playwright, Keith Barker. Keith, I know that recently you had quite a close call, a very serious car accident, uh, two or I guess three or four mm. years ago. Yeah. It's about three years now. Yeah. And how that might've changed your perspective of the themes that are brought up in this play. Do you look at the play differently now? Yeah. Um, so we were driving, I was working in Ottawa. I was working at the Canada council for the arts as a theater program officer and I drove in it was my birthday and we were driving into Toronto I was going to play hockey with my friends and go out for a big dinner and we were in a hundred car pile up on the 401 and we were hit uh we rolled four times we were hit four times from behind so as the pile up happened then cars were just driving into it and they the paramedics told me that that the uh, near Oshawa and all that stuff. Like it's the closest the 401 gets to the Lake Ontario. 
and it's where the biggest problems are uh, because weather changes. Like we were in Kingston, it was very cold January, but it was clear day. And as soon as we hit that area, it all of a sudden got cloudy. We couldn't see. So I slowed right down. Then all of a sudden you see all these people, cars losing control. And then we got right into a pileup and then it's bang, bang. Cars are hitting us from behind. Our car flips over and I'm hanging upside down. And uh, I'm hearing cars slamming all around me. I'm hearing other cars from the highway. And I realize in that moment that I'm vulnerable. And, you know, I thought I was going to die. In, in, and I was, it, it changes everything about how you see the world. And, uh, I unbuckled when it didn't happen. So no other car hit us. I was, I unbuckled and I, th- I thought my wife had passed away. She was hanging upside down and she was unconscious and I had to wake her up. I didn't know this at the time, but I had a broken sternum and the, uh, I had to wake her up and check and, if she was okay and you just realize how delicate we are and uh the the you know the ambulance came one ambulance came they they had to take her out but they couldn't get me out because the car was upside down and was all crushed and the firefighter held like they held me in like uh, because they had to get a spinal board and he held me and i could hear the tragically hit playing on the radio and he's like, I love this song, you know, it's so great. And I, we're laughing and he's just cracking jokes and just letting me be there, you know, and it's freezing cold. It's outside. Um, and I just realized in that moment as how his like he had he was holding me and how much I needed that in that moment of not knowing where Catherine was, not knowing if I would be able to walk like I couldn't I was laying on broken glass. uh and I could, I was in a ton of pain. I didn't know uh, everybody around me. There was just chaos everywhere. And you come, you just come to understand, uh, you know, this can happen to any of us at any moment. And so make sure you tell the people you love that you love them, hug them when you get a chance to, and just be thankful for every moment that we do have. And that can be really hard because there's lots of like, there's lots of hard times in life. And those moments of how, how do we find moments to be grateful? It is, that was it. Yeah. I, it is just one of those things. And, and then I try to find that humanity on stage. That's the greatest gift in the world is when someone tells me, wow, like that, they they just felt like that, that dialogue feels like real people. Like that's my uncle. Or like I'd said before, when someone says that to me and when, when you capture what that is, the, the, the essence of what real life is and you get to put it on, on stage and people feel that, like that's, that's the thing I, I always love. It's I don't want to teach anyone anything. I want them to feel things. Yeah. I want them to be reminded what it is to feel like emotion. If, for the production in Toronto, we had two moments and one girl said to us at a talk back, like the cast was amazing. They did a talk back after every show because they really felt like the audience needed to know that they were okay, but also had a because it is, you know, it can be hard material and mm-hmm. they wanted to make sure they were okay. And one young woman said, she said, I 
I tried to take my life and, and it wasn't until I just saw this play that I realized what I put my parents through. Wow. And it was like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. And, and the other one was that we had a, uh, this woman came up to me, asked me if I was the playwright and I said, yes. And she says, um, I was able to, I like, I lost my sister and, uh, she says that she grieves privately. You grieve in your house, you cry or, you know, mm-hmm. you, you go for a walk, but you, you, it's very private. And the thing that the gift that the theater gave her was that <laughs> everyone was crying. So we were, she was like, I was crying and grieving publicly, but in private. And that is the thing that, that is, I think is a hugely important aspect of, of grief. Like that's why we have funerals. That's why we have these rituals about how we gather and, and mourn and celebrate life. When you don't get to do that, it, it's hugely impactful. So that idea that I was able to bring that yeah. to someone or that, that, the play was able to allow someone to do that is a Keith, for me, what makes your writing so strong is just how genuine and honest it is. And I'm wondering what's the secret to tapping into that as a writer? Everybody has their own stories to tell. And to me, it's like, how do you discover your own voice and trust it? There are lots of people in this world who say there are writers and don't write anything. And I can tell you how many times I have written the perfect play in my head. And then this is amazing. It's going to be this and that's going to happen and this. And I plan it all out. And it's, it is the best play that has ever been written in my head. (laughs) But the putting it to the page is a completely different thing. And it takes, it's like a muscle that you have to work and you, to get it down on the page, it's not going to come out the way it is in your head. It sounds so much better in your head. And I would say, just trust that you have to get it on the page because and get it all on the page. So lots of people write the first scene and then they edit the first scene over and over and over again. And they don't get to the second scene or they get halfway through the play and they, they just, you know, run out of gas and they, they stop writing it. And to me is like the hardest part for me is to get it on the page. And I often find that the best writing I do is in the 15 minutes that I want to get up and leave. And, and I usually force myself as like, no, you're going to sit and just finish it. And, and usually I'm avoiding the hard, like, how do I bring this together? I don't know. And then I just type, 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 type. And I'm, I'm literally getting up off my chair going, no, oh, I got to just finish whatever. Okay. This happens. This, he says this, this has happened. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. Oh, I got to get away and I walk away. And then I usually give it some time and if I come back a day later and I read it. It's usually the writing I like the most. Really? Is it? Just in the moment when I'm about to give up or when I'm not thinking about it anymore, I'm thinking about I want to go do other things. It's almost like a valve releases in my my head and I write the thing I actually need to write or I'm not overthinking things. I'm just letting it out. Yes. Um, When you have an idea and you're like, oh, that's great. This is what's going to happen. If you don't write that down, you're going to lose it. Your version of This Is How We Got Here, the one that you directed at Native Earth, featured an all-Indigenous cast. And I should add, so did our version on Play Me as well. And yet, you made the choice not to make the story a specifically Indigenous story. And I'm wondering why you made that choice, especially considering the strong and difficult connection between suicide and Indigenous communities. 
That's a great question. Um, yeah, the production at Native Earth honored that story. And those, those, uh, actors told that story and those audiences got to see it from that context. The thing I love about the play is when other communities can take that and also tell that story. Because to me, there's, this is not, this is not one community that is experiencing this. This is a, this is happening everywhere and all communities have experienced and felt this. And so for me, I was like, I want to see different versions of it from different communities. I want to open this story up and I want people to talk about it. And like I had a Maori uh, um, artistic director and I started talking and they were like that. Those are my uncles. Really? The, the play you wrote, those are my uncles. And so the, the exciting thing for me is the universality of some of these characters and some of these stories bring us closer together. And so to me is like, I would just be honored by other people being able to do this work. And so I, I think it's important to have indigenous work that's telling indigenous stories. And this one for me, it just felt like it needed to live in a more like it could be anybody because so many people have experienced it. And so many different communities um, want to tell and engage in this work. And so to me, it was like, yeah, it was like, it was a no brainer. Knowing that so much of this story has been inspired by the trauma experienced by your family, I'm wondering, has your family seen the show? And, and if so, what did they think of it? I am um, uh, incredibly privileged that my family, you know, supports, you know, my work and uh, me as an artist. You know, some lots of people are not that lucky. And, you know, we, we did we, the show was produced at Magnus Theater in Thunder Bay, which is where the first theater I ever saw my first it's where I saw my first play um, and understood that th this was actually a profession that people did. Um, so it was. Uh, it was very emotional for me. And my family, like, you know, to have a lobby on opening night and have all my, all my cousins and my aunties and my mom and everybody there. And, um, yeah, it's, um, like I had said to you before, is like, I didn't want to write my aunt and uncle's story, but there is the, I wanted to honor their story. Yeah. And so when I wrote it, when I wrote, this is how we got here, I sent them before I did anything with it. I sent it, I sent the the version, the the published version to them and said, before we do anything, before anyone sees this, I, I just want to make sure I have your permission. I want to make sure that you don't feel that I said anything mm -hmm. or, you know, I want to make sure this story is being honored. Yeah. And they both emailed me back saying like, if it starts a conversation for people, then, then we're really happy that the boys are living on through this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, my cousin, um, she uh she texted me out of the blue about a about you know about three months before it was going to open in thunder bay and she said she finally was able to read it but it took her like four tries to get through it to really understand to, to you know she had to keep putting it down um and i think all my family are like that all of them are really hoping i write a comedy next <laughs> <laughs> they are all like so when are you gonna write the funny you're 
you know, my cousin's like, you're a funny guy. Why are you not writing comedies? And I was like, I know, I know. And and not that this play isn't funny. Like they, you know, there's a lots mm-hmm. of humor in the play, but they were like, but you, you, you break my heart every time. Yeah. Keith, it's, it's a really complex time for our country right now. I think we're just starting to come to terms with a lot of the injustice that's been perpetrated around our relationship with the indigenous people of our lands. And I'm wondering how that's had an impact on you as an artist and as a storyteller. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, uh, there's a, there's a responsibility there that just is present in a way that I, I have an experience with any other kind of theater, indigenous theater in particular, in terms of how we take care of audiences and how we take care of our artists in those spaces. And so that's always the conversation around some of these subjects. And for me, that report, the Truth and Reconciliation Report came out years ago and they were warning people of of the bodies that would be found, the confirmation of the children lost and who disappeared. And I, you know, uh, want to say, I hope they're all found and, and returned to their families and their loved ones for, and they're honored in a way that they should have been. And in, in you know, we had an elder, uh, we had a small event one time, Native Earth was, you know, kind of, we were with the government and they were, they were, they were, they had a program they were offering and they had an elder open the space and everybody was talking about residential schools and the elder in the middle stopped us all. And he's like, you know, I'm a survivor. And every time you say that word, it's like a knife goes through me. And he stopped us. You know, we just, so everyone just says it so easily and this man every time we said it, it was just he was very upset with us and i learned something that day just around the power of words what our responsibility in these spaces are and how we take care of people and people keep talking about that it's in the past and it's very much in the present and part of that resilience and part of the you know jesse wente says it's about cultural sovereignty it's about giving people the opportunity to tell their story the way they want to tell it and i think that's my responsibility and my role right now is uh you know lots of theaters have a uh, an artistic director who has an artistic vision and they kind of it ends up being that that person kind of guides the taste of the theater. And I really don't, that doesn't fit with what native earth is it to me. It's a community vision and it's what's best for the community. And we support artists. Sometimes we're supporting the artists and sometimes we're supporting the work and those, those work hand in hand together. And part of that is also around how people navigate these 
these things that are in their lives that they've been experiencing their, you know, and, and not being acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah. Keith, thank you for letting us produce. This is how we got here for play me. I have to say, while I was working on the show, I was thinking about your cousins. Of course, I, I knew the backstory to the show mm. and that gave a lot of weight to the piece. And that so clearly comes across in the writing. And I appreciate that you gave us an opportunity to share this story. And, and it's, oh, Keith, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I, I will say just that, um, you know, the one thing when I, when I gave the, the play to my aunt and uncle, my aunt came back to me yeah. and she's like, if there's only one thing you could do, could you put this? Cause my, my cousin Aaron highlighted all these passages from Jonathan Livingston Siegel, the idea of like, he's like, I can't live in this world, but I can live in the next, like I'm on to the next thing, mom. So don't worry about me. Yeah. And she asked me if I could quote it. And I tried to put it in the play. <laughs> I was just, it just never worked. And I was like, ah, but in the dedication at the front, I was able to put the quote. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just the idea of like, he looked back, he saw the world and he was grateful for it. And then he turned around and went to the next thing. And so to me, it's like, there's something really beautiful about that idea that it, yeah. it will see you down the road or, you know, we'll see you in a bit. And so the, that's the thing, the positive aspect of, of, uh, and, uh, you know, the, she was reminding me of that is that, you know, it's not the end. It's not the end. You're listening to Play Me on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius XM. That was Keith Barker talking about his play, This Is How We Got Here. The show featured Tamara Podemski, Sheldon Elter, Michaela Washburn, and Christopher Bowman, with Joshua Orjak as the voice of Craig. Keith Barker directed the original theatrical production. It was first produced by Theatre Continuum and New Harlem Productions as part of Summerworks Performance Festival at Factory Theatre in 2016. This episode's sound design, mix, and edit are by Chris Tolley. To hear the whole play and interview, or to listen to more plays turned audio dramas, check out Play Me Podcast on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next with the gripping drama, Between the Sheets by Jordy Mand. What begins as an interview between a parent and a teacher unravels into a gut-wrenching confrontation between two women battling for the future they desire. Thanks for listening. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley in partnership with CBC Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think about Play Me. You can email us at playme at cbc.ca. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Theatre or Instagram at PlayMePodcast. A special thanks to our CBC producers, Fabiola Melendez-Carletti, Cecil Fernandez, and Tanya Springer. The executive producer of CBC Podcasts is R.F. Norani. Our senior director is Leslie Merklinger. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is an Expec Theatre production. For more information about our plays, please visit playmepodcast.com. 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.